you're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Arma Energy, presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best, motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Show, brought to you by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Just One Helmets, and X Brand Goggles. I am your host, as usual, and today we've got Paul Lindsay on the line. Many hats, many experiences, and this is going to be one heck of an interview. I hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, Paul, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well today. How are you, Brad? Hey, not too bad. Uh, Detroit Supercross is looming uh, in about two, three hours time, uh, or central time. You're one hour behind me uh, over in Colorado. Uh, fair weather today? Yes, sir. It is, actually. It's really nice out. It's going to be uh, mid-60s. You know, it's, uh, Colorado's one of those states where you never know. It could, be, it could be snowing one day. It could be 60 or 70 the next. We're supposed to have a big local race tomorrow up at Lakewood where the national track is, one of our first local races of the season. A lot of people don't believe me when I tell them that we race this time of year, but, uh, yeah, we've had a couple. I think last weekend or the weekend before was supposed to be the first one. It did end up getting snowed out, which is, I guess, kind of contrary to what I just said, but, uh, it, it's hit or miss here in Colorado. It's not like we're snowed in, completely locked in for the winter like some states. We live on the front range, you know, not completely in the mountains. So then recover our springs don't get a ton of snow. And right now it's, it's beautiful riding weather out here. Well, I'm up here in the Canadian prairies where uh, the temperatures get as low as minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which uh, to you just means extremely cold. But uh, we actually had a, pra- <laughs> a practice track open last weekend. So uh, some unseasonably warm weather go. up here as well. Yeah, nice, nice. Absolutely. So, Paul, I wanted to get you on the show because uh, as far as motocross goes, I'm not too sure if there's anything you haven't seen and you haven't, or a job that you haven't done. Uh, I was hoping to try and uh, just canvas you for some, uh, some, a little bit of your story as well as uh, a timeline in terms of some of the uh, experiences you've had in the sport. Sure, sure. I appreciate it. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I When I did the uh, anniversary show with uh, with Steve on, on Pulp there, uh Somebody called in and said, I think that was one of the questions, can can JT or Kenny name all the jobs I've had? And it was a little embarrassing. I never looked at myself that way. I mean, I was a team manager for so long, uh, right at 10 years, 11 years, I think. And a rider before that, that's all I knew. And uh, But since yeah. then, yeah, I've definitely uh, diversified myself a bit, so to speak. And I'd like to joke that I've been on all three sides of the fence uh, as a rider, a team manager, an agent and now maybe even a fourth side as a, as a rider rep, you know, going out sponsorship and dealing with the marketing side of things, uh, on, on a product from an industry standpoint, uh, company like Liat, for example. And, uh, it's, it's interesting to see all the different angles and see how things work and gel in this industry that we all love so much. It's, uh, it's been really fun. I feel really lucky and blessed to have gotten to do all these different things in the industry. That's for sure. Well, I by in no means uh, see uh, your um, changing of careers to be um, to be a negative thing at all. Like it's it's one of those things where I see a person who is so passionate about a sport that they're willing to do any job necessary to stay within the industry, and I think it's that passion that you have for the sport that pulls you forward and allows you to uh, to land the positions that you get. 
Hey, pretty much nailed right on the head. I appreciate that. I am passionate, and that's a, a word I, I like to use a lot when people ask me how I get so lucky and get to do this stuff. And, and you and I have talked, you know, via text or off the air about that, and that passion is the key. I mean, it's what I've done. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm a fan of the sport first. I'm sitting here just like you and probably everybody else listening, you know, watching lap times and watching Supercross Live, and, and uh, I'm not in Detroit, so I'm going to be sitting here watching, you know, it goes to the, to the computer screen watching brackets and then the TV later on tonight. But, you know, I love the sport. I'm a lucky guy that got to do it for a living as a racer and then really kind of stumbled into the team manager thing. It was one of those things when I when I retired from professional racing, I didn't know what I was going to do. I felt like I'd just gotten out of high school or college. Like, okay, now what am I going to do with my life? And the team manager thing came up uh, in 98 with Kawasaki, Takati, Mexico. I got invited down there by Kawasaki, Mexico to do a Supercross uh, with Phil Lawrence in uh, Monterey, Mexico, met the owner and was telling him that this was probably my last year racing. I was 30 years old at the time, I think, 28, 30, I don't remember. Anyhow, uh, and he offered me this team manager job, said he was starting a team with Takati Beer, and I said, sure. And it, it was perfect for what I do because I had represented myself as a, you know agent, if you will, and for promoting myself to do all these overseas races that I did to make a living in the in the nineties, basically and early two thousands. And then it just fell right into what, you know, just doing it for the team, basically lining up sponsorships, designing the graphics, logo placement, contract negotiations, dealing with the money, the salaries, the mechanics, everything. And it was just a perfect fit. I wasn't much of a, of a mechanic of a motorhead. You know, I was a, a average mechanic at best as my, you know, working on my own bikes as a privateer. These so that wasn't where I excelled. Yeah. Oh yeah. Four strokes. You know, it's a good thing I had some good solid crew chiefs along the way because, uh, uh, if I was an average mechanic at best on two strokes, I was definitely more of a hack on one stroke. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't one of those guys that, uh, got into it from my mechanical skills. That's for sure. It was more on the, the rider marketing side and working with the riders and that kind of stuff. So, uh, like I said, I, I do have a passion for it. And when that team manager thing ran its course, I couldn't believe I went 10 years and, you know, owned part, you know, half, half owner of my own team for seven of those years with Motor World. Uh, it was just like somebody pinched me, you know, I'm getting to do what I love for a living. I can't race anymore, so I get to do this. Okay, this is great. And then when that ran its course, I tried uh, a few different things. And, yeah, like you said, I just I'm sort of vested at this point. And whatever I need to do to, to stay in the sport is what I like to do. I mean, right now my biggest passion is, is the, the color commentating stuff and any kind of broadcast or, uh, you know, announcing. I did the Endurocross series all the last two years, and I've – Obviously, been lucky enough to do some stuff with Feld, uh, the, the Supercross Live show on and off with Jim Holly, the Pulp Show with Steve. I mean, he and I started that together. And if I had my way, that's what I'd be doing full time right now. But it doesn't. There aren't quite enough good gigs out there just yet um, <laughs> to, to make it a full time gig. So I'm working on it. I actually thought I had a big announcement coming. I mentioned it on Steve's show, and it ended up kind of getting back burned. I think it still might happen at some point. So maybe I'll still be doing that. Uh, but honestly, at the moment, I guess I'm not so lucky because I'm unemployed. Like I said, on the folk show, I've uh, been lucky all these years, but maybe my, maybe my luck's ran out. My passion certainly hasn't. So uh, I'm sure I'll land on my feet somewhere within the industry and doing something I love, which again, I thank God every day for that. So I'm a lucky guy and uh, I'd recommend it to anybody out there to, to follow that passion, follow their dream and go do it. It's, if I can do it, anybody can, that's for sure. 
Well, it's often been said that if you do anything, uh, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I that's think right. that's something that kind of rings true is in your case. And uh, getting back to your uh, your racing days, you, you strike me as a as similar to a local racer by the name of uh, Lawrence Ham. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but this is the type of guy who basically paid for his first house with fair races. He traveled uh, abroad. He did G like he did the uh, he did. World GP races, uh, not only like in, in Canada, but over in Europe and the in the United States, and uh, he's even got a what's high his, What was his last name? Lawrence Ham. Ham. That now, are you guys Carol forgive guy. my forgive my ignorance? I'm on your geography. Are you guys you're mid uh, middle of uh, Canada up there, right? Or Smack are down, you west? Right above okay. uh, Minnesota. That's what I thought. Okay, so I did. I think I might have raced that guy at a fairground race because I used to do the same thing. And you're, you're spot on. I mean, I used to make some good money racing fairground races when I wasn't going overseas. That was my source of income. Was I drive to Wyoming, Nebraska, New Mexico, wherever I could, and as far as like Idaho and uh, South Dakota and North Dakota, I raced a guy in Minot, North Dakota. I can't remember yeah. the guy's name, but it might have been that guy. And we went out of the nail. It. It, it was one of the most pitching races I've ever done. I loved it. I'll never forget this whoop section <laughs> wide open on a 125. Him and I going bar to bar. I don't know what sticks out about it for me. I ended up winning, luckily, but this that guy was fast. If it's the same guy I'm thinking, uh, but I made like 1,800 bucks that weekend, and that those were the good old days. You know, any fairground race where I can go drive in my van and, and make that kind of money and come home is, is definitely better than uh, a regular job. And like I said, I was pretty lucky, pretty blessed to get to go do that, and then plus the overseas stuff, obviously too. So. That's funny. I'm I'm almost thinking that was the guy's name. I wish I could remember. Um, did he have a nickname? Because for some reason, I remember uh, asking Jay. I thought about the guy. Yeah, they I can't. Him I'll, I'll, locally, because he's maybe a good that dude. wasn't maybe it wasn't the same guy. But uh, um, I'll uh, I'll think of it here in a little while. Because I remember asking when I got my second team manager job with Planet Honda. We had JSR. Uh, who, who represents your country well? One of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Uh, John Sebastian Maugh is just one nice dude in general. And uh, I remember asking him about this guy. And at the time, I was able to remember his name. And JSR just started laughing and put his arms up like he said, "Oh, that guy!" And he put his elbows way up in the air. And I said, "Yeah, that's him," because <laughs> he had yeah, kind no, of a, a, a weird riding style. We're talking about the same guy because he, that's him. That's, then yeah, that's his riding style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Same that guy, guy was and fast, he's actually man. very well known in in Quebec because that's where he used to do a lot of his racing. Uh, yeah, he'd, he'd he'd travel over to Quebec because there's always a ton of racing down there. Uh, like I said a little bit further south than we are right now. So uh, yeah, that's that's Lawrence Ham. That's 100%. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Small yeah, he was a good right guy there. too. Yep, yep, and that was a fun race in Minot, North Dakota, fairground. Absolutely. So, now, so what I was getting at is that like the, the two of you used your passion for motocross racing and by no means was Lawrence an over the top light like lightning fast pro, but he maximized his talent by just being diligent and going as far as it needed to go, calling the people necessary to land the uh the sponsorships necessary to make his dreams come true, to make his his want to race motocross be his full-time gig and kind of the same thing for you. And you, I, I got to imagine yeah. that those experiences equipped you with the, the business savvy and the way of basically representing yourself, which turned into what you were able to do post-racing. A hundred percent. You just described it perfectly. I mean, that's exactly how it went down for me. Um, as I was telling you off air, I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me, 
how I got to do all these overseas races or why. And I've had people that were faster than me. Like I was telling you, I was at a local track one time. I won't mention the guy's name. A friend of mine raced there locally, and we were out practicing at a local track. And he uh, he said, you got, you're going to Aztec this weekend? It was a local race or something. And I said, no, I'm flying out tomorrow to a Supercross in New Zealand. And he's like, New Zealand? Well, well I want to go. And I was like, well, you know, you're faster than me. Why aren't you going? You know, get your head out of your ass and just call somebody. I mean, it, it always blew me away that people weren't. You know, I guess different strokes for different folks. Like I said, I'm 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 a horrible mechanic. He's probably run circles around me in that, but I guess I was better at uh, promoting myself and making phone calls and taking care of business than he was. I used to travel back before you know the days of uh, laptops and backpacks and uh, that kind of stuff. I used to have a briefcase. Uh, I don't know. I think Donnie Schmidt used to do the same thing, and I think it rubbed off on me. And, and Stacy Cook. Uh, local friend of mine slash uh, guy, you know, hero that I looked up to when I was racing back in, in the day. He used to travel with a suitcase, and I used to think it was the coolest thing. And people used to tease me on the airplane. I'd have a, a briefcase, and they'd be like, oh, what are you doing? I'm, oh, I'm going to a motocross race or a supercross race in Brazil or whatever. A motocross or with a briefcase. <laughs> and, I, you know, I just tried to conduct myself, not like I dressed up in a suit or anything, but I just, uh, like I said, I had all my stuff with me, the faxes back then. You know, there was no email, so it was all done by fax, the contract or whatever, and just try to be a little more professional and yeah, that, that translated beautifully into what I did with the team. I mean, I knew how to read the contracts, interpret them, uh, return on the investment for the sponsors, local placement, making sure all the activation, uh, that, that word we were joking about, the <laughs> activation, all that's handled and everybody's getting what they want. And, you know, that's the key in motocross. It's, as we also talked, spoke off the air, it's a, very much a gimme, gimme, gimme sport and everybody wants to be sponsored or wants something for free. And that's, you know, that's the flip side of it. But what a lot of people don't realize is it's a two-way street. You know, when you when you ask something of a sponsor, they want something in return too. And, and you need to make sure uh, that you're giving them that and giving them the exposure the, the, that they're looking for. In my case, I was well-sponsored in my day, probably, like I said, more so than I probably should have been for a rider of my level, a privateer, three-digit guy, you know, making mains and outdoors and barely missing mains and supercross. But, uh, you know, I, I was pretty well supported because of the overseas races I did. And I learned that, the, you know, these guys are all selling product in those countries. So if I call AXO and say, hey, I'm going to Indonesia or Japan or wherever, they're like, hey, let's send you a few sets of gear and can you do this and you do that? And, uh, you know, they would let me sell my gear when I was over there. It was a good revenue source for me, actually. It was one of my deals with Axel. They never paid me a salary, but they would let me send me extra stuff and uh, and tell me to sell it. And then they'd just give me new stuff when I got home. And in certain countries, when you couldn't get your hands on that stuff, and it was like a feeding frenzy at the end of the race, I'd go home with an empty gear bag with two uh, CTI, two new braces in it, <laughs> my helmet, boots, everything would be gone, and I'd have a couple grand in my pocket. So that was a nice revenue stream for me there as well and it was great that they allowed me to do that uh, in lieu of paying me you know uh, bonuses or a salary they, they allowed me to do that so those were those were good days and just a way to get creative and make money I guess so um, yeah it definitely and I didn't go to college well I went a year and a half of college and, and uh, ended up quitting the race full time and uh, I guess that was my college like you said I, I learned all the street smarts and the business skills that I needed to conduct myself in within this industry. And nowadays, even uh, with, with corporations, you know, with, with the energy drink companies and, and Toyota and all of these companies, you know, look at Jimmy John's and all the, the bigger companies that have come on board in our sport. Uh, you know, you need to learn to walk 
walk and talk the talk in the corporate world as well, because that's a whole nother level of ROI and, and activation with those guys. It's definitely not a game. So I've been pretty fortunate to, to rub elbows with a lot of those guys and, and learn what it takes to do what you need to do in marketing. And uh, it's, it's been good. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm fully vested at this point. I feel like I could do it in other sports and do sports marketing or, or that kind of stuff, activation. But I, I for motocross, so this is where I'm going to try to stay. So, Well, yeah, and like when – and. Like, all the, you mentioned all the people always asking for sponsorships and stuff like that. And like, I always see it all the time on uh, like social media uh, fans or riders saying, Hey, sponsor me, sponsor me. Well, when, when a company gives you say, uh, even to say just a free helmet, they give you a free helmet. They're hoping that because they gave you a free helmet, that you're going to be an advocate for them, go forward. And hopefully that turns into two helmets. That's and uh, if yep. you're not able to do that for that, if you're not able to do that for the company, they've lost money on you. So you, you need That's to, right. when you, when you take in a sponsorship or you take in free, uh, whether it be money or free product, you need to make sure that that, that free product that you got goes into the hands paid for by the, by two of your best friends or something along those lines or people that you make, you come in contact with. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And I mean, a lot of people miss that. I, I read resumes and that's one of the biggest, uh, pieces of advice, if you will, that I give when, when people hit me up. And like I was telling you, I, nothing makes me happier in life in general. I don't have enough money to be a philanthropist, so uh, I, I do it in other ways, and I love to give back, and I love to pay it forward. Uh, Eric Kehoe, John um, Blank, and a couple other names, a lot of guys, Todd Genro. I mean, a lot of guys have been very good to me uh, with advice over the years. Uh, my buddy Brian Junkie at Motorworld. Um, and, you know, when you cold call somebody like that, and when you're just starting out as a team manager, like Keo, for example, and, and he gives you the advice you need, um, it's it's flattering that he's willing to take the time to do that. So I always love to do that in return. And, you know, local guys, especially from Colorado, I love nothing more than trying to connect them. Uh, I'm helping a couple kids now. I don't get anything out of it. You know, there's Michael Reiner, who's a private chair, trying to make it out there right now, and I'm trying to hook him up with Bell Helmets and Fox and stuff like that just, warms my heart being able to do it because I've got some, so many connections and I can only take them so far. But my, my point is, I guess when I look at a guy like that resume and, and especially maybe at his level, I'm not saying his specifically, but maybe a local pro, for example, and they say, Hey, I'd love it. If you sponsor me, I do this and that. And you really can't look at it that way. It's a partnership. And that's why if you look at NASCAR or NHRA and you, and you listen to the way they say that phrase, it's not, a handout. It's not a sponsorship. You're not getting broke down from these companies. It is a marketing partnership. And that's the key that people miss. They think, and well, that's all I'm starting to get good at a local level. Can you hook me up? Well, what are you going to do for us? Just like you said, we'll give you a free helmet, but hopefully you'll say our name on the podium or uh, there'll be a picture of you on the local uh, newspaper, magazine, whatever in, in Colorado, and that'll help sell helmets. It'll be a cool thing. And people, you know, that whole win on Sunday, sell on Monday thing, Anybody that doesn't understand marketing, a lot of people really don't think that that works, but it does. Even at a local level, so a bike gives you a, a shop gives you a bike uh, to a local pro or whatever, and he goes out and he's winning on it. It it has an impact on a lot of local kids. They're going to maybe go buy a bike from that shop or spend money on parts at that shop. It really does work. They're not doing it because they like the guy. It's a little bit of both. You got to like the guy, obviously, but it's business. And like you said, they want to return. In most cases, now sometimes it's a charity. Sometimes the kids broke; they just feel sorry for them, or it's a great story. Let's give them a free helmet. But like you said, 99 times out of 100, they're giving them that helmet because they want to sell two more. So 
Uh, anybody that doesn't understand that isn't going to make it very far, and it, it kind of cracks me up when people don't. I've got some good close personal friends of mine who get free stuff, and they don't understand why. And I'm like, because there's about 500 local kids looking up to you every weekend at a race, exactly. even though he's not the guy. He's still one of the the guys. Even a top five local pro here in Colorado has a, has a pretty big following. I mean, we get seven, eight hundred riders at a local race. That's sort of a big deal. It'll move some product. It's not going to make anybody a millionaire, but it'll sell some bikes and some helmets and some goggles for sure. It's it's a uh, it's a cool thing to do if such and such is wearing it, right? I mean, uh, X brand goggles, whoever it may be. If it's something new and exciting, and then all of a sudden, oh wow, I saw. Uh, local Jimmy wearing it, and I want that. You know, it, it definitely moves product, and that's what makes the motocross industry go around. That's for sure. Well, the the the, the top pros influence the local pros in uh, influence tomorrow's local pros. And mm-hmm. like for me, like I like I grew up watching Canadian nationals, and then when I eventually went to the races, then looking up to guys like Don Formo and Matt Ham, and uh, just the the local guys, and like, you thought these guys were gods. And you get to know them now, and there's like there were all people, but nevertheless, like I I rode Kawasaki's predominantly because my favorite racer growing up was Darcy Lange, and he happened to ride for the Richmond Gallon Kawasaki team, and I knew everything about him. I knew what kind of gear he rode, what kind of this, that, or the other thing, and I would make sure that my bike looked as close to that as possible. And Heck that, yeah. in fact, is the evidence that if you in like the, their investment in Darcy Lange in 2001 has sprung me to be a Kawasaki guy for the last 15 That's right. years. That's right. <laughs> so and, and I could, I could case, use example, after example of that people that don't even know they don't even realize they're doing it, that, that maybe used to hate KTMs. And I know a guy right now, as we speak, a, a, a vet writer, a senior writer here, close friend of mine, I won't throw him under the bus to mention his name, but, Probably used to think KTMs were garbage, but he's a huge Dungey fan, and guess what he's riding this year? So, I mean, come on. It's like a lot of people do it, and they don't even realize they're doing it. Uh, they think, you know, that new KTM looks pretty good. I might try one of those. Well, why do you think that? <laughs> Maybe because your favorite rider's watching it. A lot of times it's not a direct hit like, boom, Dungey switched to KTM. I'm buying a KTM. I'm loyal to Dungey. A lot of times it takes a while. But now all of a sudden, gee, that new KTM looks pretty good on the track. I might go buy one. I mean, hello. Well, case in point, uh, and no, I don't mean to throw him under the bus at all, but uh, um, Ken Roxon rides a Suzuki, and so does Tevin Tapia. Yep, there you go. I mean, so, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's all relative. It, it like, does like, happen at that level, too. I mean, it happens with riders deciding uh, to, to what teams drive for. I'll give you an example right there perfectly. You just nailed it. Uh, when I was in Tedesco, was the guy coming out of the, the, the lights class at the time, 250 class now, I guess, title in hand, Supercross and Outdoor. Yeah, there's pick of the litter of factory teams he could have gone to. Prior to that, Suzuki was sort of like uh, a pariah, right? Nobody wanted to ride there. They thought it wasn't the greatest team. RC goes there, starts winning. Man, those Suzuki's look pretty good. Rogers got them working. Rogers always has those Suzuki's working good. K-Dub and Astronomy, those guys, those were some wicked machines. Yeah. Suzuki 450 was kind of a pile. Well, exactly. And but where did Ivan <laughs> sign with? Where did Bobby yeah. Nichols, his agent, place him? That was the cool yeah. place to be. Let's go stable mates with Ricky. He could have picked almost anywhere he wanted to go, and he went because Ricky was winning there on that bike. That yeah. is the definition of, of that portrayal, like you just said. And it happens uh, at the pro level. It happens at the local level, and it's very people are very influential on that whole mentality. It went on Sunday, saw so on Monday. All of a sudden, things start looking a little different. So. 
Absolutely. From from the, the, yeah. the highest level to the lowest level locally, like the, the local pros, I remember like like our local guys, uh, Greg's KTM and Headingley Sports Shop, they had the majority of the, the top of the pro class and that's those were the two strongest uh, shops around because they had the, the, the top pros and like, well, if it's good enough for so-and-so, it's good enough for me, right? Yep, that's right. That's right. That's how it works. Which so, is which is why we race. I mean, that's all part of it, and, and understanding that uh, helps you sort of be successful in business and anything, I guess. But specifically in our sport, that's really what makes the world go round. All right, guys. All right, guys. It's time for a commercial. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear. Trey Kennard wears. Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat-absorbing liner, and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice or just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with Oats and Bran. Oats and Bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. Racing man, but more than box, what big Jeff likes is a bad bull. And there goes a brand, bad bull. And there goes a brand, oats for power, brands for speed. Who that tastes, what a delicious treat. Cereal bees, and there goes That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. So, what do you think of Rich Taylor? Lighter than hair and stronger than steel. So, what that means is it can move much faster. 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter-X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. So once your, uh, your I wouldn't say your skills uh, expired, because I'm sure you still can th- twist a throttle better than I can, but nevertheless, no, like once you get to the point I'm like where... the biggest, 
hypocrite in the sport. I don't ride. I'm embarrassed um, to say I don't ride on a bike. Either way, I'm <laughs> sure if you if you dusted off the boots, you'd still be able to uh, crack a throttle. Uh, uh, I don't know. I do. I'm pretty old and fat and lazy now. <laughs> oh no, that's not good. Uh, yeah. But either way, like once it got time, you're like, okay, well, my my skills have kind of evaporated, but if if I had the same skills as one of these riders that like don't have the proper uh, representation, like if I if like basically like if I was if if I was as fast as those guys, that's how I would run my program. Is that kind of how you got into representing riders? Or like, hey, you're really good, but you don't represent yourself properly. Let me be your uh, spokesman. When I was doing the agent thing, you mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean that that's, that's close, I guess. I. I enjoyed that part of it, the, the art of the deal and negotiating the deals and being a former rider, being a team manager, I kind of knew a lot, you know, there, it's sort of, you know, we don't have a, we don't have like a player's association like the NFL. So none of the salaries are disclosed. So there's, there's a small handful of people in the industry that really kind of know what certain riders are making. I didn't know all of them, but I knew a lot of them at the time and uh, just, sort of consider myself lucky to be on that inner circle that, that got a lot of that information, let's say, and I thought I could put that to good use. And I, I thought I'd really be good at it. And I wanted to help. You're right. I wanted to help these writers that, that needed help negotiating contracts and people, you know, people give agents a bad rap in this sport because they think that they're just leeches trying to make, you know, their 10% or whatever, but there's a need for it. I mean, a lot of writers, just like we talked about the local kid that can't pick up the phone and call New Zealand, he needs somebody to, and at, at this level, when you're in the in the in the 250 class, uh, like a, a Bogle or or somebody like that, there, there was a lot of those riders. I'm not using Bogle as an example. I guess he's just a random example. I don't know if he has an agent or not. But at the time I did it, there was guys like Bogle that didn't have agents, and they were missing out, in my opinion. Now that doesn't mean that I wanted to go in there and suck somebody for another hundred grand and be like, ha ha, and twist my mustache. It was more that I just wanted to make sure he got what he needed. And it was, yeah, and it was, you know, he got the appropriate salary. It wasn't about beating somebody up or throwing him in a headlock saying, my guy's got the number one plate. What are you going to pay me? It wasn't like that for me. It was just more like I, I thought there was a service that could be done there and I could enjoy doing it. And uh, boy, was I wrong because I, <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. It was, I enjoyed parts of it for sure because it was just like you said. I mean, I was helping uh, negotiate their deals and I knew enough about it to do it. But uh, I really didn't enjoy the the sleaze ball side of it and a lot of the backstabbing that went on. And and at the end of the day, the agent is the guy that takes the blame. And I I lost some good relationships over it. I've had uh, team managers hate me over it. I mean, it wasn't fun at all. When when uh, I'll give an example, uh, I won't say who, but one of my one of my clients, one of my writers was telling me one thing and his dad was telling me another. And in the end, I was the guy that got the blame because they were telling, both of them were telling the team manager something completely different. And then they wanted me to look elsewhere for a ride. I started doing that. The team manager came to me and was like, what the F, you know, I thought he was happy here. And why are you doing this? Why are you trying to take him from me? And, you know, at the end of the day, for one thing, if I'm, he should be mature enough to know that it's business, right? I mean, just like in the NFL, you're going to shop your guy around. If, if he can find greener pastures, great. That doesn't mean he doesn't like where he's at. He's just I'm doing diligence for my clients. So there shouldn't be any hard feelings. But ultimately, in this sport, there is. And like I said, I got some really sour taste in my mouth and some really sour relationships over it because I was doing 
A, what was best for my client, for my rider, and, and B, what they asked me to do, to go look here, call Mitch, call this guy, call whatever, and then all of a sudden work gets back to team manager of ABC, and I'm the bad guy. And uh, I didn't enjoy that at all. That sucked for me. Uh, I like to be friends with everybody, and uh, that that turned real quick for me. So I did that for a couple, two or three years and decided uh, it wasn't for me. So um, onward to uh, other things. I got to do more TV stuff and broadcasting and eventually with Liat for three years. So um, no more agent stuff for me. I'd still do it. I get people asking me every once in a while if I help them, and I, I try to help guys that are still friends of mine, Bobby Canary, guys like that. I'll look over a contract every once in a while or whatever, uh, just for buddies. But uh, I don't know that I have much interest in doing it full-time anymore. <laughs> well, it's so. one of those things that even for for me, like uh, because I have the ability to kind of go to bat for myself and represent myself, I feel like for those who don't, I feel like giving back to, the, to, to them or, or trying to help them out to kind of prod them along a bit like that because – None, none of what we get, none of what we do is all on our, on our 100% our own merit. We always needed to know somebody that got us in contact with so-and-so uh, to, to get the right thing. So giving back is, is especially like one of those things where it, it's almost like, a like for, for me anyway, it's an automatic thing. You want to be able to um, help that person below you get to where you're at because or help them get to that next level or put them in contact with a person so that they can kind of help themselves a little bit because Absolutely. getting to know the right person is, is, is can start a little bit of a domino effect that like, okay, that guy knows so-and-so, but he's buddies with that guy. And That's that guy right. is friends with Ricky Carmichael who might let me ride at his house where I get to That's know so-and-so right. and now we're all You nailed it. That's what makes this industry. That the passion is, like I said earlier, and the understanding of, of the business side of it and, and that right there is the, the cherry on top, the networking. And that's what I've based myself on because I'm friends with so many people. And I, I you know, sometimes it bites me in the ass, the, the friendship thing, you're not supposed to do business with friends. But to this day, if you ask me, uh, the guy you had on one of your last podcasts, Jimmy Sloan, if you said, hey, do you know Jimmy Sloan? Yeah, Jimmy's a buddy of mine. Well, technically, he's like a colleague of mine, right? I mean, we're not friends. We didn't grow up together. But I call Jimmy Sloan a friend. That's how I roll. That's what I do. And Jimmy and I have become quite, yeah. And and if you call me and you said, hey, uh, give me another example. One of my best friends, John Murray, was asking uh, if I could help him find a pipe sponsorship. He's a local uh, guy that promotes Supercross here in Colorado uh, Springs and local vet pro and decent rider, you know. And, and he says he wants to try to get a sponsorship with pipe. I said, yeah, let me call my buddy Little D. And so it's my buddy, but you know, same thing. I'm not best friends with little D. I just call him that because I know him so well. And let me call Mathis, my buddy, you know, everybody's my buddy. Everybody's my friend. That's how I do things. And that to me has helped me be successful because I am so networked in, so to speak with all these hundreds of people that I consider friends and some of them very close friends. Um, some of them to me are literally like family. Like, uh, I mean, Bobby Canary, like I said, I stayed at my house <laughs> a month or two ago for the arena cross. I consider him a close, close friend, but at the end of the day, somebody else might look at that and say, he's more of a colleague, isn't he? Like a coworker or that, but that's just my style. Everybody's a friend. And uh, especially if it's somebody that I've worked with closely, like Bobby um, or whoever, you know, it's uh, it, to me, those are lifetime relationships. And sometimes it can bite you because those friends will let you down because <laughs> not, not little B, not Jimmy Sloan, not Bobby Canary. None of those guys, for example, but some others, maybe all of a sudden, 
I'm not their friend anymore, or they rock star me in the pits, or they won't return my call, that that can be a little harsh for me because it's like, well, wait a minute. I'm not even calling you. I don't want anything. I just was calling to say hi or ask you for a phone number. Maybe I did need something. But when people don't call me back, which happens a lot in this industry, that, that kind of bums me out because I do consider a lot of those guys friends. And uh, like I said, maybe that's the naive side of me to think that, but that's how I conduct my business. And uh, I think that's the key, back to your point. And, and getting to know somebody that knows somebody that knows Ricky or knows somebody that knows somebody that can hook you up is the way to go. And that is the key. That's the golden ticket. Anybody that's listening, use that. Get to know people, befriend people. You don't have to be fake. You don't have to use people. Uh, you know, but my friends call me when they need tickets to Anaheim or Vegas or whatever, and then they, they you know, literal friends like from high school or Stacy Cook, local racing buddy, whatever, and they'll say, man, I'm sorry. I feel like I only call you when I need pit passes or something. I'm like, well, we're guys. That's what we do. Big deal. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just part of it. I probably do the same thing to him. So that doesn't bother me and it shouldn't bother them. And I guess, again, my point is leverage those relationships, you know, reach out to your friends and say, Hey, can you put me in touch with uh, Cody Gilmore? I'm going to be in uh, Nebraska riding and I know he knows uh, Brayton and I'd like to go da 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 da. And you know, it, it's, it snowballs from there and that's how it works in this industry for sure. It's still small enough of an industry uh, to where that's how it works in my opinion, at least. So, Totally agree, and like, uh, like I won't say anybody's name to be honest, but uh, like graphic companies to, to begin with. Uh, like, I don't currently have a graphic company sponsoring the show, mainly because um, the, the graphics that are on my bike are different from the, the graphic company that was sponsoring my show uh, mm. because I didn't get any product from that particular uh, sponsor. Uh, so like he was upset that I was posting pictures with somebody else's product on my bike, even though oh, I didn't boy. have his stuff. And then the other guy that I, like I interviewed him after he's upset or like another friend of mine. Who, that is we, definitely we, where it gets tricky for sure. You know Juggling I mean? like, those relationships. Like Absolutely. You four different friends that all have the same company basically. Yep. Like, and they all yep. like, as far as graphic designers go, like it's, every company is basically as good as the guys who are designing it in general and the, the, yep. the vinyl that they're using. And if they all use the same product, it would come down to design alone. So like, and they're all, all pretty competitively priced. So it, it's tough to, to be friends with them and say like, Oh, it I is extremely tough. So-and-so. Yeah. Yep. Because I, and that's a huge contradiction for me and a huge conundrum, if you will, because I'm a loyal guy and I have my favorite companies and my favorite brands, which I won't name, <laughs> but I, I also am pretty diverse. I like them all. I mean, I, I, I like all the graphics companies. I don't think any of them suck. Um, I have four or five favorite gear companies. I probably have one or two that are based on the year or the design or the color or who's wearing it are, are way sicker than others. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome but I'd like to be friends with all of them. And it's not because I'm fake. I just, I like them all. And I think they're all good. None of them, unless something really sucks. And then even then I might know somebody that works there and be pulling for them. Like, Hey, you know, hang in there with your chin tires or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, like I don't, I don't knock anybody, but at the same time, you're right. Like it's hard to pick favorites and do that when you're promoting a show or a team. But I guess it makes it a little bit easier when you have a, a, a contract, you know, contractual obligation and, in your case or my case with the team, you know, we're an FMF team this year. Sorry, you know, maybe next year we'll be Bill's Pipes or whatever. 
uh, and try to keep that relationship open. That's how I always try to work it. And again, it, it's not a fake thing. At least I hope people don't think that of me. It's it's a sincere thing. I really like the guys, Bill and Jeff, that Bill fights and Brandon, for example. Those guys are awesome. I love this Little is also D. Bill's Pipes and, podcast. Bill's Pipes, Bill's Pipes, Bill's Pipes. Hey, there you go. I mean, those guys are those guys are badass. But I've been an FMF guy, you know, almost my whole life. Little D, Donnie, well, yeah. Danny, when all I, those guys when I was are in awesome. California for Anaheim too. Little D gave me a tour of his whole shop. There you go. I mean, that's the like, thing. It's it's hard to it's hard to do that, ago. but business is business, and a lot of times those guys get it too. They understand that you might be a, a Bill's Pipe show now, but you might be back later and be an FMF show or an FMF team in our case, uh, or Bill's Pipe's team. So it, it it all goes around as long as everybody's mature about it and there's no fakeness. That that's the part you'll see. There are a handful of guys in this sport, and they know who they are, and most people know who they are where you can say XYZ goggles are the best, they're this, they're that, they're proprietary. I can tell you why the foam is better. I can tell you why the lenses do this, this, and this. Our tear-offs are superior. And I'm telling you, you got to wear these goggles. And then a week later, they don't work for that company anymore, and the goggles are shit. That bums me out. Now, that business, I get it why that person does that. But at the same time, that's not me. I can't sell something and promote something if I'm not sincere about it. And I'll give you a perfect case in point. I'm not claiming to be an angel here, patting myself on the back. It's just the way I am. I don't work at Liat anymore. I still would beg and plead <laughs> implore anybody listening to put a Liat on because they work. And that's a whole other subject that we won't get into. <laughs> and I saw thread recently on Vital that just made me sick to my stomach. Uh, about the image and why people are taking it off and has it run its course and is it a gimmick and is it gone by the way of the baggy pants like LBZ. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a gimmick. It's not a fad. It's society, us in general, going back to running with scissors and God forbid the next rider or high-profile, God forbid, pro factory rider gets seriously injured or catastrophic injury, we're going to all go, wait, wait, we should protect these guys. Well, we are. We're trying. I mean, again, I don't work for Liat anymore. And even when I worked for Liat, if you had come to me and asked me, I can't wear Liat because Alpine Star is a sponsor in the show, I'd say, put the Alpine Star brace on, please. Period. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a safety device. So that's, I don't know, like I said, that's how I try to conduct myself. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but there are definitely, you got to be a little bit later. There's some fake people in this industry that kind of, that I, that I consider friends, actually. There's a couple of them that I can name that I would that I would call a friend, but they're pretty damn fake and they're pretty uh, wishy-washy when it comes to uh, loyalty. Let's say the next uh, next all of a sudden this rider sucks or that rider sucks because he's not wearing their gear anymore or whatever. And they're talking trash about him. It's like oh geez. So anyhow, I could go on all day no, about that. <laughs> for sure, hey, like keep going, man, if you want to. But I wanted to get nah, your take yeah. on the difference between representing a rider and representing a team as a team manager and going out there and making sure that you have brand activation on race day uh, opposed and also of course keeping all those other balls in the air opposed to uh, a rider making sure that he's basically keeping up to his end of the deal as far as like a, a personal sponsorship. Yeah, it's, it's, well, again, you've, you've nailed it perfectly. I mean, it's really similar, but different at the same time. I mean, it's obviously one guy, versus usually three or four guys. Um, with the team, you've got a, a bigger image to look out for with the semi, the mechanics, the pit shirt, uh, the autograph posters, everything needs to be right. I mean, if you get a logo wrong 
literally, you know, you gotta you gotta pay attention. They got an outdated logo that they sent you, or on accident, you know, you say put this logo on, or we're sponsored by this guy or that guy or that tire company. You tell the graphics company, and they say, oh yeah, we already got their logo, and then come to find out it's an outdated logo, and I screwed up. Or, or you look at the contract and it's supposed to be this size and the graphics company made it that size or the same or on the side. Or you in a really that's, bad spot where his legs yeah, are nonstop. Yeah, and that's all a huge juggling act that the team manager does to make sure everybody's taken care of. And in our case, in the last few years of Motor World, we had 32 or 33 somewhat sponsors down to, you know, even just free product. We try not to, like, pour it out and just, everything but there's a lot of times you need that stuff chains air filters you know they're not paying us money but they're giving us product that's valuable and a performance product you know like w wheels uh gp fuels there's certain things henson is a product that i you know we're lucky enough to get for free because everybody has to have it right vp same thing so i didn't ask them for money because not only are they not they don't pay very many teams but uh, you got to have their product, so you want to take care of them, but it's really just a logo, and they're just so far down on the totem pole as far as the sponsor list and the ascending order of, of importance of the dollars, but you got to make sure they're happy, and you got to make sure that they're well taken care of, and then you have to police it, like I said, with the mechanics and the riders and the family and make sure they're not wearing a, a pro circuit sweatshirt walking through the pits when we're sponsored by FMF or whatever the case may be, Dunlop and Bridgestone, and that's a lot of work to, to police all that and and instill that in them that don't make me police it. You know, you should be proud that you represent Dunlop or FMF and, you know, don't show up at the test track and, and let Don play to shoot a picture of you with the wrong hat on or something. I mean, come on guys, this is your job. So, but then, you know, back to the rider part of it, you're more, I don't want to say a babysitter, but you're more just there to say, Hey, this is what we've gotten. And you work for the rider at that point. You know, when you're the team manager, you're in charge, you're calling the shops. Uh, when you're when you're an agent, you technically work for the rider, so you can't tell him what to do, but you can say, dude, you, you don't want to be seen in that hat. You're blowing it. It's going to piss such and such off, and I'm just telling you right now, you need to take it off. You know, versus when it was my team, you know, I could say, that's not happening, or you're going to be fired, or you're going to get fined, or whatever. Um, like I said, but when you work for the rider, it's a little bit of a, a strange dynamic to work for a rider that's paying you a commission to get these sponsorships and you're basically advising them at that point. And that, that comes back around to the question about being an agent. A lot of people ask me, you know, I, I didn't have control. The agents don't have control. It's not like uh, Jerry Maguire or, uh, or whatever, you know, it's not like a movie where you're the one out there telling him you're going to ride Ivan, you're going to ride for Suzuki. That was Ivan's choice. Okay. I said Bobby Nichols earlier. I was kind of half joking, half serious, but Bobby probably talked him into it because Ricky was there. But I guarantee you at the end of the day, it's Ivan's choice. At the end of the day, it's Bogle's choice, who he wants to be with, who he wants to ride for. The agent can advise them and say, this is what I think, and this is what I can get you, and this is what I would do, but it always comes down to the rider. He's in charge, and that's obviously quite a bit different than with the team. When uh, when I hire a rider, then I'm in charge, I guess, and, and they're going to do, you know, within reason. I, I like to listen to the rider's input, and I'm not going to say, we got to run this tire because they're paying us X amount of dollars, I'll say, what do you think? Let's go test this tire. It's the difference between 30 grand. If you guys think we can do it, let's do it. If not, we'll stick with this company. Um, that's at least how we did it. Some teams don't have that luxury. They kind of take what they can get, but we were fortunate enough to get level where we we could, you know, do that. And we did that, actually. We tested different tires, and uh, at times we would turn money down, or at times we would take the money, I guess. It's just depending on what the riders would tell me. So 
Anyhow. So yeah, well, like uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about was that like a certain like if if one company A is like their their product is brutal, but they've come into here with with a, a wheelbarrow full of cash, and so and so. There is like top of the line stuff, but they don't, they like obviously everyone else in the pits uses them, so they can't, can't give everyone boatloads of money. They can give you, say, uh, 50%, half of as much money to run their stuff. Uh, from from a, a team manager's point of view, who do you go with? Oh, that, it's exactly like you just said again, you keep nailing these. That, that literally happened to us with tires, and that's why I, I, I won't go into details on it, but it was, it was a, significant difference in money. It was literally bonuses and zero dollars compared to $30,000. And for a team like us, that's a lot of money, $30,000. However, when you look at the overall, you have to step back and look at the performance of the team and the riders, and you're trying to keep Yamaha or Suzuki. In this case, it was Yamaha, I think, in 2007. is the example I'm using, 2006, 2007. I think Billman was with us that year, and he tested them. You have to keep them happy, the manufacturer. I mean, you can't be dumb. When you've got, you know, our highest budget that year, I think, was $1.2 million. So what is 30000 to a $1.2 million budget? To me, to that team, we needed that thirty grand. We were we were short that year. We were stretching to pay this, that, or the other guy. Uh, you know, that's how it worked. You always stretch the budget. Every team does it. So 30000 would have been nice. But, again, what is, you know, that's uh, what? to what I didn't do the math uh, 5% or 0.5%. So it's like, it's nothing in the grand scheme of things to your overall budget, not to mention the performance of the team. If you're going to struggle all year because the tires suck, then it's just, it's dumb to even think about taking that money. Um, but in our case, we, we actually ended up taking the money because I left it up to the riders. I said, go test them. We spent days at the, at the Yamaha test track testing these things. And they actually came back and said that, they thought the company ABC's factory rubber, not off the shelf, but the factory stuff was better than company XYZ. And I made sure that they were sure. And I said, all right, we'll do it. So we took the money and, uh, you know, we had a decent season. Half, inevitably, I've seen this happen too many times on teams. They'll say it's great in testing and then you get out on the track and you're three, four races in at Anaheim 3 or whatever and they're whining that the tires suck. <laughs> and then all of a sudden that... Oh man, yeah. Then that's, that's a whole other can of worms. Just dealing with egos and and uh, certain riders, you know, just saying what you want to hear at the time, and then and then backpedaling and blaming the bike or whatever. So that that's a whole other dynamic that just comes with the territory. I guess you'd like to think it doesn't happen, but I've seen it happen on factory teams. I've seen it happen recently on a on a high level 250 team. So uh, it happens, and that's just. With the, when you're a team manager, you just gotta work your way through that stuff, and that you weigh that on the decision too, because you don't want to be like, "Look, dude, for 30 grand, I, we need it, and I want it, I want to take it because it's gonna help finalize the budget." But I'm not gonna be listening to whine about it halfway through the season. And then, you know, you also get a certain amount of attention too when you take a company like that. There's there's other factors. They're gonna do ads. You know, you're gonna be their primary team, so they're gonna run, you know, tons of ads with your riders, which is. Uh, you know, value and kind trade for your other sponsors. That's that's huge for your other sponsors, for the gear, for the goggles, for the bikes. When they're running full color page ads because you're their team, uh, in our case, Jessamine got a win that year. And, uh, you know, they ran a full a bunch of full color page ads in Cycle News and Racer X and everything. And that was big for us, uh, that particular company. And I, I happen to think their tires were good. 
Um, so, you know, they, that's also something you take into consideration is that relationship. They're, they devoted two guys just to us, you know, uh, two techs to be there every week, changing tires, testing stuff, making sure. And there were, there was a liaison that we had, a third guy that was communicating with the factory that could get, you know, rubber overnighted when we needed it from across the ocean. And, uh, it was, uh, it was interesting. And like I said, to get that kind of attention was a nice thing. It wasn't just about the money. It was a good product and, and good service and, and good. They were promoting us well. And so that weighed into the decision as, as well. So there's a lot that goes into it that some people don't see. And then they just think, why did we do that? <laughs> so there's always stuff that goes. And then not to mention, some companies are notorious for not paying. Some gear companies, who I won't mention, might offer you money, big money, and you're looking at, uh, you've got three options. We can take this gear company for this amount, this gear company for this amount, or this gear company for this amount. But I know they're probably not going to pay us. <laughs> so let's go yeah. with this one. It's a little you're bit less, but I know we're going to get paid. Court, so. Yeah, yeah. And that sucks about our industry too, but you just kind of like navigate your way through that. And ultimately, most of them end up paying. You might have to fight for it and, and kick and scream and they'll be behind. But I'd like to see most companies pay. There's only a couple, two or three companies, not gear companies specifically, but just company companies, one hard part company and another one that just notoriously just shaft people and you just learn to stay away from them, I guess. In our case, one year we learned the hard way. So, but hard anyhow, life lessons. And, yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing I was, I was going to kind of finish this off with is the fact that like you've learned a lot about this, this sport over the years and uh, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then you get onto the microphone uh, on, a, on a world stage, on a, uh, the, the floor of the, uh, the Supercross races. You're doing the race day live stuff and knowing a ton about the background of this sport and, and the ins and outs of the things, there's certain things that you can't say on those shows. There's like certain <laughs> realities that you can't shed light on. How does... Well, I'm too like, much of a puss to say because... Uh, fair you know, enough. Whatever, yeah. I try, I try to keep people happy and not offend people, so maybe that's a, a deficit in my, uh, I don't know, my performance, I guess, or my, my skill set is that I'm not willing to just about that stuff off like you said so yeah that's that's tough yeah well i was gonna say like how hard is it to basically um put on uh, i wouldn't say rose-colored glasses but at least not go into some of the uh the gory details of, of, of certain things um on, on like a, a a big broadcast like that in our sport it's really hard because it is still such a small sport and there are a lot of dirty little secrets and things that we know or that we might know or might have heard. Some of them are true. Some of them may be gossip, whatever, but it, it is hard. It is hard. And it's hard. You know, I mean, I'm being paid to be unbiased and give my color analyst opinion, you know, and I, I try to do that fairly, but I don't know, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being, so I have personal bias as well, but I try to set that aside. I try to look at guys, try to emulate bigger name guys that have, that do it better than me, even even out of our sport and and NFL, like a Chris Collinsworth. He he actually Chris Collinsworth. I guess I should emulate him more because he's one that'll just throw people straight under the bus. I was watching a thing on him, you know, the, showing these clips, and he says he doesn't like being friends with the players and the coaches off the field because he has to talk crap about them sometimes. And I'll show a clip of him. That is the worst defensive stand or defensive run I've seen of the Philadelphia Eagles in. 70 years, <laughs> you know, and he might be friends with those guys. I'm not really good at doing that. Again, I don't like to be fake 
and be two-faced and I'll try to politely call somebody out and be like, what was he thinking? I do pride myself on that. Uh, even if it's a close friend, uh, somebody, you know, like a Canary or uh, Andrew Sword or Brian Morris, if, or even if it's my favorite rider, if somebody does something dumb, I'm, I try to be like, man, what was he thinking? But I'll do it politely. <laughs> I don't, I don't like get on the bandwagon and start going, such and such is a dirty rider. And this is a, you know, and, and, and conversely, I try really, really hard not to do it when it's somebody I don't like. That's hard to do. If it's a, if it's a particular rider that I just don't like, I think he's a jerk. I think he's dirty. I think he's doing drugs, whatever the case may be. I, I just particularly don't like this rider and he does something dumb. I try not pile on him and say, yeah, I freaking hate that guy. See, I, I really try hard to, to level myself and not do that. But I go the other way too. Like I said, I try to be fair and objective. And if one of my favorite writers does something good or bad, I try not to go over the top talking about it that way. You know, I just call it the way I see it. Uh, the, the Canard and Reed thing is a perfect example of that. I wasn't on the air for either one of those incidents, but I'm, I'm a big fan of both those guys. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I thought it was completely dumb what Reed did, and I thought it was incidental what what Trey did. I don't think it was necessarily dumb. A lot of people think what Trey did was dumb, but I, I think he didn't expect Reed to roll the inside the way he did, and it was just racing. And that's not me being a bigger Trey fan or or Reed fan. That's one of the problems in our sport. You know, people, the fanboys or whatever they're called. You know, people will latch on to their favorite rider to the death. And if, if my favorite rider screws up, I'll say he screwed up. I mean, I I try well, to... I by no you know, means yeah. think that Trey Kennard had the intention of landing himself on the ground and several seconds back. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a pretty yeah. skilled guy, and he can usually put his motorcycle where he wants to when he needs to. So when you make a catastrophic... Like, when something happens like that, it's literally never on purpose with those guys. Yeah, and I, I actually, I'll take it a step further. And like I said, I'm, I'm a huge Chad Reed fan, too, and I like Chad. I I think he almost did it on purpose. <laughs> I'm probably going to get me flamed. I should probably just shut up now because I already got enough trouble on Steve's show, on the on the Pulp Show for opening my mouth about the, the healthiness of the sport and, and cell and YouTube, but I'll probably get flamed for this. But I, I think borderline... Chad knew Trey was outside of him and just kind of scooted over to try to block the line. Do I do I think that Chad purposely moved over so Trey would land on him? Of course not. Uh, no, I don't. But he's like, oh, I, if yeah. I move over, he's going to run into the back of me here. You can almost see him looking out of the corner of his eye. And as a rider, yeah, you know yes. what's going down there. You know the line everybody was taking the lap before the lap, multiple laps before, and I he literally could either see or hear or feel as a rider Trey slingshotting around the outside of him in that corner. And was yes. like, no, I don't think so, dude. Do, 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 do. I'm going to scoot over here to the inside. Line and then, choice version of a, of yeah, a, of yeah. A it was it was obvious to me that he did that. Now again, did he expect that they were both going to crash? Did he do it intentionally, maliciously? No. I also, in Chad's defense, don't think he meant to put Trey on the ground. I think he meant to hit him pretty yeah, hard. Exactly. And I and I don't buy his story that you know, you know, the tough block did it. I mean, you went after him, dude. You hit him. And you were trying to do something, and we've all been there. We've all tried to freaking ghost ride our bike into somebody out of just sheer frustration and pissed off, Passion and that's what Chad was doing. Yeah, that, that's I don't blame Chad for that, but it was pretty gnarly what he did. And it, it sure the tough block was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, like I said, we could go back and forth. I think Chad is an extremely honest, professional champion, and so is Trey. 
And I think it was just a, a shitty deal for both of them, actually. And uh, anybody that doesn't see that is just a, a blind fanboy. And it's funny because you'll get guys on both sides that now hate Chad and now hate Trey and think that he's an idiot because it happened to their guy. You know what I mean? And that happens a lot in this sport, and that's kind of frustrating to watch. So I try not to take part in that. I try to really look at things openly and objectively, and people make mistakes. Everybody's human. Trey's human. Chad's human. You, you move on. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's cool that they sort of, uh, you know, another good example is the whole uh, Cooper Webb and Tyler Bowers thing. The way the way Tyler took that the first time, and now and it's getting a little out of hand now. <laughs> Going back and forth, both of them have said some things that I'm not real pumped on personally. But uh, the first time when Cooper cleaned him out at uh, A2, I guess it was, for the win, I loved how Tyler just stood there and took that and said, man, I would have done the same thing. I probably wouldn't have been as nice. I was like, yes, yes, some honesty. Thank you. And this coming from Tyler, who's a pretty gnarly, dirty rider, and everybody knows that he's a pretty intimidating guy on and off the track. I love that. I instantly, my stock and <laughs> his talk with me went through the roof. I didn't like some of the stuff he said subsequently, and I haven't liked some of the stuff that Cooper said consequently, but it was it was good there for a while, at least. You know, they were both owning what they did, and you, you just got to love that. So that that's racing. Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, and everybody does dumb things. I've done a lot of dumb things as a rider in the heat of the moment, and it just is what it is. And anybody, like I said, that can't see through their favorite rider and thinks that they're just a god or infallible is just kidding themselves. So that... Coming way back around full circle to your original question on the on the broadcast stuff, that is extremely hard to do that, uh, especially in the heat of the moment. And try to do it unbiasedly, but try to give the fans what I'm being paid to do, which is is my color analyst opinion of what's going down. And sometimes it's not popular, you know. Sometimes it's not the right answer. People don't want to hear it. And sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I look at the replay and go, you know what? I stand corrected. Actually, I think such and such did mean to do that. Now that I look at it the 20th time <laughs> yeah it's yeah, hard exactly. it's tough to judge body language and intent and oh yeah i think the the biggest backlash for you guys and uh, of course me as well doing the commentary is that like the the most hardcore fans are the guys who actually will have the guts to try and call you out on it and some people will give a guy like uh jim holly a hard time They're like well why don't you see, like jim holly we know you know all this stuff about racing why don't you tell us more well like, yeah there's only so much that can be talked about and just and <laughs> you, you don't want you don't want that. jim you don't want jim to tell his personal stories that become well, an x-rated show too. real quick <laughs> but the thing is, is that like for for him or for for you guys is that like if you guys know so much and you know that there's a lot of good and bad in the sport where do you find that line and so you usually uh stay far on the side of the conservative side of, of what you, you let out, what you don't, because uh, it doesn't take much to slip too far into the, uh, of, of going into some of those, those details. And all of a sudden you, you've laid an egg that uh, ends up uh, creating quite the stink. So yep, um, yep, that's exactly right. I mean, like it, it, you kind of, uh, you put a, um, you, you just put a, a big time filter on it. Like you don't let, like you don't even let the big pieces get out so that those little ones don't get out uh, for sure. Yeah, and again, I'll be honest, full disclosure, I, I wish I was more like Chris Collinsworth. I wish I could spout it all out and and be completely no rose-colored glasses. I try hard. Like I said, I don't I ever want to be considered fake or indecisive. Uh, 
Jason Thomas has given me crap about it before when I get wishy-washy on my picks. Um, I try not to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy that tries to please everybody, but at the same time, I don't like to piss people off, and I don't like to overreact to a situation either and, and throw somebody Jason out of the bus. Thomas, Jason yeah. Thomas getting upset about someone being uh, wishy-washy about picks. I know, and lately he's been worse I than me, actually. Yeah. This is Kettle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, JT. Sorry, buddy. You've been you've been pretty uh, Paul Lindsay esque lately. You've been uh, I've noticed that actually. He's been pretty uh, neutral. He's been pretty Switzerland on a lot of things, and now he knows why I am too. For that same reason, we we all have friends, and you know. But at the same time, like I said, we're paid to give our opinion, not to be keeping friends. And I I will all own it. I'll man up to that. I'm not that good at it. Uh, that's something I need to be better at. And it's if I'm going to get the big jobs and uh, be completely objective. Uh, you know, and, and again, full disclosure, as much as I'd love to have the job and it'd be easy for me to sit here and throw them under the bus, I, I don't see a problem with Ralph and Jeff. I think Ralph Shaheen and Jeff Emick do a fantastic job. I think they're, I think we're lucky to have them. So, uh, would I love to do it with them? Or I, and I have had the honor of working with both of them actually, um, as recently as Fro and I did the donations last year, or I guess two years ago, 2013. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, Germany. You know, yeah, I would love to do more, but I'm not going to sit here and criticize him and, and say that he sucks or that Ralph sucks. I think they're both really good at what they do, and I think I think people should just shut up and enjoy it because they're not perfect. Newsflash. They're going to make mistakes. Ralph made a huge one on there last week about Dungey winning the race and losing 10 points to Trey. Losing 10 points, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, Ralph, what are you Come doing, on, buddy? Ralph. Yeah, that was bad. I'll admit that was bad. But hey, we've all been there. You you said you do some of this stuff too. I mean, it's embarrassing. Sometimes you just open open mouth, insert foot. It happens. We're human beings, and like I said, for me personally, I enjoy the hell out of listening to both those guys. I think there's things about them I don't like, of course, that I think that they could do better. But I'm sure there's apparently there's people out there that that I make their ears bleed and they want to put a bullet in their head when they listen to me, according to some of the fans. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know. I get it. Like I said, you can't please everybody, but personally, I think those guys do a great job and we're lucky to have them, like I said. But then again, now, now JT is going to uh, accuse me of being a, a kiss ass, so I'm just giving my personal opinion on it. <laughs> sure. Hey, that, that's, uh, that's a little step forward in, ter- in terms of uh, you, you being uh, a little bit uh, more. Uh, yeah, maybe there and... maybe Ralph and Jeff will hire me now. I don't know. Was that like who knows? Did I kiss up to him enough? Actually, JT, I don't know. Je- Jeff <laughs> might have had a, a bigger gaff uh, two weeks ago when he happened to mention white power suspension <laughs> on national oh, broadcast. Yeah, yeah. That's like like that is the actual name of the company, and it's yep. WP. But nevertheless, we should probably just leave uh, it at WP. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, let's just leave it at WP. Yeah. And, uh, with uh, yeah, it was just uh, I was I was surprised that he said that. I was actually texting uh, Austin Howell at the time, and I'm like, "Did Jeff just say that?" He's like, "He did." <laughs> and uh, that's, that's part of the reason mistakes, I'm man. so conservative. Yeah, that's part of the reason I, uh, I'm so conservative because I don't ever want to do that. I don't. I, there I, was a local race. I'm terrified of doing I, something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was a local race where I, for almost half a year I was announcing that so-and-so was on a KTM because he happens to ride a Kawasaki with white plastics and black and orange graphics <laughs> because his main sponsor happens to be black and orange. And I'm like, oh, yeah, out front of the KTM, blah, blah, blah. And then his mom comes, it's a Kawasaki. Uh, and, okay. some, and you feel about two inches tall and some fan yeah. somewhere is saying you suck so bad. Yeah, get hard. Can't that you tell one little thing. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and it, it's brutal. Like, yeah, you so. put yourself out there. You got to have the thick skin. And I'll admit, again, I'm man. I have to admit, I don't have thick skin. I don't like it when people criticize me. I like constructive criticism. I like to learn and advance myself and try to get better. And I take that in all of it. But I do not like the the harsh reality that is the internet and the world these days, where anybody can just rip you to shreds and and uh, threaten to put a bullet in your head, which is just beyond me. Uh, how that kind of stuff happens, but whatever. That's all another subject. Hey, it's all part of the journey, man. And uh, yep. I think you've taken a lot of good, positive things from uh, the motocross industry. And uh, I can't thank you enough for giving us some time today. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Oh, you bet, man. My pleasure. It's uh, it's an honor to be on here. It's flattering that you thought of me, and I appreciate. It. I wish you all the best on uh, getting the uh, site up and running and, and furthering your uh, your career in this i know you have a passion for it we talked off air about that so uh, good luck with everything on uh, big keep it rolling hey i appreciate that man we'll have you on once again for sure absolutely uh many times more again if if, if i have anything to say about it uh yeah, love your perspective on things and uh your your well of knowledge is deep and uh i, I love it Thanks a lot, Brad. I appreciate it. Thanks again for thinking of me, and uh, yeah, enjoy the race tonight. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.